Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. Like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting edge, state of the art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. Jan Wong, journalist, author, teacher. Hello. Jan, today I would do anything for Ukraine, but I won't do that. Also, also the truth catches up with rebel media and it is a doozy they may have influenced the Christchurch killer and he funded them welcome back to shortcuts jan where we talk shit about the news thanks jesse this episode of shortcuts is brought to everybody by stephen Ksik, florian inaji chris heffernan melissa schmidt megan edwards alex savin ilana hampton and brad Hello, I'm Brad. I live and work in Toronto, and I support Canaland because it challenges me to think differently about Canadian media and Canadian society in general. Big day in Parliament this week, Jan, uh, with the Zelensky address. Did you happen to catch that? Yes, I heard him talk. I heard some of the speeches afterwards by the leaders of the different parties. Let's go through it. I mean, even before it happened, this was being hailed as an historic speech by the Toronto Star. They were comparing Zelensky to Winston Churchill and Nelson Mandela in advance. (laughs) And then, you know, you cut to like, I watched it live and packed house at parliament, you know, uh, Zelensky zoomed in everybody else, all the MPs were there in person. Everybody's wearing yellow and blue ribbons, yellow and blue neckties. Somebody brought in a yellow and blue baby. I think, <laughs> uh, I, what was this? I, it's really strange. Like everybody wearing the same colors uh, in parliament. It was like, uh, and, and the colors are yellow and blue, which are familiar to me. It's like, it was sort of like a sold out Canada land stadium show, oh, you know, like right. Canada land colors. I forgot. Yeah. 
if we did things like that and, and if our listeners would ever be the type of fans to wear <laughs> our colors, which they're not, this is not about us. Zelensky then beams in and I got to tell you, I don't know how you heard this, but like this guy had no intention to deliver an inspiring historic speech for yes, the ages, right? That's right. He was exhausted. Exhausted, under attack, and frankly, pleading and desperate. Yeah, and getting really sick and tired of asking for the same thing and getting no results. It was really tonally something. He basically spent the entire speech, and it was not a short speech, calling us out. He was polite, but essentially his message was, and he called Trudeau like, okay, we're friends. You want to make a big show that we're friends? All right, Justin, I'll call you Justin. Like, Justin, how do you think it feels being attacked? What if your CN Tower was bombed by Russians? I want you to imagine that. What if your airport in Ottawa was bombed? What if your kids were bombed, Justin? How do you think that feels? I mean, he was not quite as aggressive in his tone, though it was all through a translation, so I don't really know. Yeah. But he just kept that same rhetorical device again and again. What if it was you? What if it was your cities? What if it was your schools? And all leading to one plea, like, please close the skies. Talk is cheap. Give us a no-fly zone. Give us a no-fly zone. Give us a no-fly zone. His words were more aggressive, but his tone was weary. I mean, you could hear him speak, even if you couldn't understand any Ukrainian. You could tell he's been saying this and saying this. And yes, it was a first name basis. That was a little weird. Like, But Trudeau had sort of set the tone by saying we're family. But I felt like it was as if you were getting beaten up by somebody and you went to your family and they sort of looked at you and smiled and said, we're family, but didn't lift a finger to, you know, hit the bully that was smashing you in the head. So also before he talked, I felt like there were two tones going on here. There was the tone of Trudeau speaking very nicely coiffed, of course, wearing a suit. And before Zelensky spoke, he said, in Canada, we like to root for the underdog. And I just felt it was so inappropriate, the word root. Yeah. It's not a sports event. It's not a hockey game. It was cringe-making to hear the prime minister talk like that. And then you see Zelensky in his khaki-colored green T-shirt and just so worn out and so tired and just begging us, begging the West to close the airspace and telling us, you know, yeah, as you said, how would you feel if this was happening to you? And, you know, I don't know about you, but when Trudeau speaks, I just feel like he's acting. And he was a drama teacher, right? He was a high school drama. But it's not good acting because it sounds so phony to me. And when I hear Zelensky, who is a professional actor, I don't feel like he's saying any lines. I, I really believe him. I feel he's speaking from the heart. Is it just me or do you also feel like Trudeau is uh, kind of pretending to say these things? Well, I mean, there's a couple of differences. One might be a disparity in acting ability. I mean, this is a pretty common complaint or observation about Trudeau, but he's never seemed genuine to me. And But, you know, it, it always just feels very canned. And there's something patronizing and ingratiating and solicitous about the, like he speaks to you like you're in kindergarten. Yeah. But the other big difference between these two leaders is one is actually having bombs dropped on his <laughs> yes. country and the other is safely a world away. Yeah. You know, so, so that might actually, you know, if, if you're doing like a method acting kind of a thing, that, that, that'll inform your method. Yeah. Let's actually hear Zelensky here for a second. I know that you all support Ukraine, 
we've been friends with you, Justin, but also I would like you to understand and I would like you to feel this, what we feel every day. We want to live and we want to be victorious. We want to prevail for the sake of life. Can you imagine when you call your friends, your friendly nation, and you ask, please close the sky, close the airspace, please stop the bombing. And they, in return, they express their deep concerns about the situation. And he receives a three-minute standing ovation. And then, it's not just Trudeau, our federal party leaders line up to respond to his desperate plea for help by expressing their deep concerns about the situation. And to President Zelensky, let me express to you how much I admire your courage and your sacrificial leadership at this critical time in Ukraine's history. The kind of leadership that you are showing, sir, is very rare, and it serves as an inspiration to all of us who are elected. We heard his words today. We want to thank him for his courage, his inspiration, his resilience. We want to thank the people of Ukraine for their courage and their resilience. But we must use every tool. And I fear that the tools we have in front of us are inadequate to the task. President Zelensky, we do not want to let you down. We fear that we may inevitably let you down, but we will find every tool we can find. And where there aren't adequate tools, by God, let's invent them. I know, I know. I listened to bits of of them. And I listened to the whole speech by Elizabeth May. And I have to say, I felt she really spoke from the heart. She said, okay, so we don't have all the tools. Well, let's, by, she said, by God, I quote, by God, let's invent them. And she said, you know, we've seen illegal wars. May we be worthy to stand by you. May we be worthy to be called your friend. And I felt like she at least is addressing this problem. Like, we're saying we have concern for them and we want to support you. But she's saying we've got to invent something new now. We can't just do the same old, same old. So I thought her speech was very strong. Of course, she's at the very end and no one's paying any attention anymore. Well, I, I had a similar reaction. I mean, at first I'm just like, wow, uh, you know, what is this actually about this pageantry of performing your solidarity, performing how close friends you are? And, you know, like it's it's even done like Trudeau goes first and he's on the first name basis. But then after the speech, everybody gets a go at it. And everybody is just like, we really feel for you. And boy, you've inspired me. And meanwhile, I'm thinking like, are they making him sit through this? I was wondering the same. You know, because because they're actually talking like they're, they're like, you know, President Zelensky as if he was still there. But, you know, his face disappeared. And you kind of hope like this guy's got bombs to dodge <laughs> and assassination <laughs> attempts to get away from it and like a country to defend. Like he doesn't need to hear Jagmeet Singh wax on and on about like how he's really rooting for him. You know, I felt the same. And I'm going to guess he just went away like they were just talking into the air. As you say, it's performance. And I think they were performing for Canadians. I hope he went away because really, who needs these platitudes? He's kind of busy. He has other things to do. I can't believe how much he does, right? I see all his uh, videos on, on Twitter. He's, I mean, on Wednesday, he's speaking to the U.S. Congress. And he can't stop because this is the only way he can help his people is by going out there and holding everybody's feet to the fire. But I also felt like, what is going on? He doesn't have time to listen to you guys. 
Yeah, I felt the same way about Elizabeth May. At first, I thought it was going to be the worst because she was breaking down and crying. And I'm like, damn it, like, we don't need, like, it doesn't help anything, your emotion here, uh, if all you're saying is we can't really help you. But then at least she acknowledged the situation, as you say. At least she said, like, it breaks my heart. There was truth to it. We're not going to, I mean, first of all, we technically can't, you know, create a no-fly zone, but also that might trigger a nuclear war. And <sighs> she acknowledged how insufficient an answer that is. Like, ultimately, we're going to exhaust every non-interventionist mechanism, and maybe we'll even try to come up with some new ones, but we're not going to do what you ask. And I know that that's going to disappoint you because you're dying over there. And she said... She said, let's invent them. Let's invent the new tools. I mean, she called on people to find something new. And ah, this no-fly zone. I mean, I think we're going to head to a war anyway. I mean, if you just read about World War II, all the different nations didn't want another war. They still remembered World War I. So they all said, we don't want another war. So if Hitler's just going to go to this country, okay. You know, and then he'll go to that. Okay, we'll stop. But, you know, he even turned on the Soviet Union. He had an alliance with the Soviet Union, and then he turned on them, too. Everybody's afraid that if we do this, there will be nuclear war. I think I don't see an end to this. We could still end up in a nuclear war. So what? We're not going to have a nuclear war because we don't want one? It's That's not how it works. I was noting that parallel, too. I mean, if we're going to extol him as Churchill, it feels like, like, what does that make us? I guess we're Chamberlain. I guess we are, like, you know, it, yes. we're the ones. And people were arguing with me about that. Like, that's ridiculous. We're supporting Ukraine. We're not for appeasement. We're giving them arms and we're helping them with all of the uh, strictures on their financial system. I'm like, yeah, but, like, let's just be sober about it. I'm not saying that we should do more. I don't want to trigger the next world war. But let's be honest. When it comes down to it, we're not willing to intervene. Right. We're standing by watching these missiles destroy apartment buildings, hospitals, kindergartens, and, you know, the next crop, the next wheat crop for Ukraine. So we're like Chamberlain. I agree. People are like, no, this is, you know, there was no nuclear weapons then. This is a new paradigm. This is different. I don't claim to be any expert on this stuff. I hope that what we're doing is going to... Of course. Well, what else is there to hope for but that this is the right course of action? I guess I am a little bit sickened about what I see as like kind of a gross emotional display on the part of our of our politicians trying to score these weird points. Like you can't have it both ways. Like he's very clear about what he's asking us for. You can't claim to be his stalwart, steadfast supporter when you're denying his request. I'll tell you a larger thing that I'm noticing, Jan. It's like it, it's this tragedy of public life in Canada right now, in the present moment, it seems that we have accepted that our government does most things that it does just for show. We are no longer upset or outraged by that. We expect it. And instead, we turn our rage on the people who dare to question that or point it out. And I'm thinking specifically here about this like stupid, stupid thing that went mega viral between the CBC reporter Travis Steinraj and, and Christia Freeland and Melanie Jolie. Did you see this clip? Yes, I did. I didn't know what to say at the time. I, I looked at it and I thought, what do I do? I don't want to jump in. I decided I wasn't going to say anything. And then it just got bigger and bigger. And then I saw you tweeted something. And, and I thought your point was right. I can't remember the exact words, but you said, we're looking at the wrong person in this scenario. You know, how can Melanie Jolie say, I reject your question? And I went, yeah, that's it. I agree with you. Well, we're not going to have much of a good argument then, but uh, <laughs> we'll, 
<laughs> we'll try to find something to disagree about. No, let's talk about this. This is worth talking about. All right, let's get the listeners up to speed here. I don't know that many of them missed it. This clip was seen a million and a half times, so most people have probably seen it, but let, let's hear a little bit of it. This is a Travis Donraj, CBC reporter, who went to Europe with the Trudeau cabinet, and here he is scrumming Christia Freeland and Melanie Jolie. A lot of Canadians are back at home kind of wondering and watching uh, this trip and seeing a lot of photo ops, a lot of broad platitudes, and not many specifics when it comes to, to details. Uh, why couldn't these meetings been done from Canada? Why does the Prime Minister, the Deputy Prime Minister, the Minister of Foreign Affairs and Defence Minister need to be in Europe right now when there are a lot of domestic issues at home that are very important? And some people view this as a, as a photo op trip to Europe. Well, I, the only person I've heard saying that is you. Um, but, there are many people that are but, that are saying that. So Travis, you know, he goes, well, there are many people saying that. And it goes on. And Christia Freeland kind of gives this answer about how like like uh, half of it is visual because the expression on her face is like, yeah, she just looks like you schmuck. Why are you asking me this question? Yeah. And Melanie Jolie is just like nodding in the background. Like, I can't believe I have to answer this stupid question. I Don't know. you realize you, you, you gnat that there <laughs> is a war and that we are the most important people? And she and, you know, she doesn't actually answer, you know, the question of like, do you all need to be here like with? anything but, well, it's really super important and we need to have secure communications. She doesn't actually say like, well, Trudeau needed to be here. I mean, obviously Freeland needs to be there. Yeah. But like, if she could have said, well, Trudeau was able to do something by being here, then that would have been, but you know, anyhow, she did her best as politicians do, but then Melanie Jolie kind of takes the mic and she actually laughs at him. She laughs at the reporter. Just to say, I, I, you know, I reject your question. Yeah. Uh, and, and not only that, I would say that Canadians expect us to be here. And that's exactly why yeah, we're and, here. Well, they both were contemptuous. Christian Freeland was pretty contemptuous. The face she pulled, not in her words, but the face that she pulled, she sort of, her head leaned backwards and she didn't roll her eyes, but, you know, it was on the way. Travis doesn't need to say many people are saying because... You don't need to say that. Just ask your question. I hate that shit, too. I hate that, you know, lots of people are saying, like, I'm saying, I'm asking you if this is just a photo op. Yeah, this is my question. Just ask the question. But here's the thing, Melanie Jolie, like, literally laughing at him and waving him away and saying, I reject your question. I reject your question. Very Marie Antoinette-like. Like, what is the device there? It's like... <laughs> My job isn't to answer your question. My job is to either accept or reject your question. I mean, politicians have always rejected questions in the form of like dodging them or, yeah. or refusing to answer yeah. or spinning them. But what she's saying there, and it's the thing we've heard from politicians before. Usually they say, I reject the premise of your question, Yeah. which always like, like I, I hate that shit too. Cause it's like, oh, I thought you were supposed to be answering my question. Instead, you were analyzing its premise. Melanie Jolie does not understand that her job is to answer the questions of reporters because reporters are asking on behalf of the public. So it shows such arrogance. And I think it's a new level of low among Canadian politicians treatment of reporters. They don't understand. It's an old tactic, which is like when the reporter asks you a question, you're not speaking to a reporter. You're speaking to the public. The reporter represents the public and the public's right to know. And this, Jan, is fucking boilerplate table stakes question. This is like mm -hmm, mm -hmm. everybody's here on a big trip to Europe. Is this a good use of your time? Is this a good use of taxpayer money? Why do you need to be here? Is it just for show or is it for practical reasons? Like that is like the bare basic minimum of what a reporter 
covering something like this will always be doing. There's nothing special or unique about this. I won't pretend that he did a great job of asking it. It's okay. It's not a big deal. And uh, it really, the words of a reporter are not important when he asks the question. It's the answer. And in Christina Freeland's defense, she did answer the question. She said, you know, we can't, it's very important. There's a crisis on face-to-face is very helpful, blah, blah, blah. I'm having dinner with the German minister tonight. So she did answer it. But Melanie Jolie just said, I reject your question. Like these people are not royalty. These are elected politicians who are supposed to, and they're, it's a press scrum. They're there to answer the questions. So when you saw this stuff happening on Twitter and everybody jumps in to criticize the question, this is totally ass backwards. I don't understand why everybody's criticizing the reporters the way he phrased it. He, even he backtracked. He said, I didn't ask, you know, my wording was a clumsily, as was my tweet, my fault. You know, I don't think he needs to apologize. It's just a question. What is very interesting and newsworthy about what happened was their attitudes, the attitudes of Christia Freeland and Melanie Jean-Lee. At a time of, of war, at a time of real crisis, at a time when Canadians will be paying more for gasoline, all of this, it's very important. That's why the CBC sent a reporter on that plane. So there's no such thing as a stupid question. It's a, it's a, you know, is that the right question? Who cares? He asked it. It doesn't matter. I think I found something to disagree with you about. You call this a new low for politicians. I think that this is like, since time began, politicians have treated reporters with disdain and tried to basically separate the reporter from the public and say, nobody's asking this question but you. You're an idiot. This is a stupid (laughs) question. It's a partisan question. And like, let's shoot the messenger. That's the old tactic. What was new in this case for me was the response, and not simply, like, there's a there's a lot of, like, very annoying Trudeau-supporting almost bot accounts, but they're not bots. They're actually just partisan hacks on Twitter who will jump on anybody who really applies any kind of scrutiny or criticism to this government. That didn't surprise me that they got on his case. What surprised me was that journalists were agreeing with them. Right. That's what I saw on Twitter. Sam Kemp-Jackson, a journalist, uh, freelancer for the Toronto Star, CBC Globe and Mail, Going after Travis, like, this is a bad take, Travis. Like, take, who cares what his take is? Yeah. You know, and basically, don't you realize what's happening in Ukraine? I stand with Ukraine. Oh, is, yeah, is I that- saw that. I thought that was really tacky. Terry Glavin, Terry Glavin was like, oh, this question wasn't framed well. I should have trademarked Operation Photo Opportunity when I first used the term. Oh, my God. I didn't see that. Heather Malik dependably writing liberal propaganda. The problem with Travis's question is a modern one. It was not a question, but a statement of opinion. This is such bullshit. Too bad, because I like Heather. I didn't see that. A common take was that this was a gotcha. It wasn't a real question because I'm like, what do you mean? Like, it was a real question. It was, do you need to be here or is this a waste of time just for just for optics? Now, it's true that that question has a critical lens, but I can't think of a good question that doesn't have a critical lens. Max Fawcett, lead columnist for the National Observer, tweeted to this question of like, should we really be asking about how the government spends taxpayer money? Like, is that an appropriate question for the CBC to be asking? Was this trip necessary? It cost a lot of taxpayer money. Max Fawcett responds, taxpayer dimes pay for your salary, don't they, Travis? Oh, that's terrible. Is he actually questioning whether it's the role of a CBC political reporter to question government expenditures? Wow. And now that the government's paying for like 
all media in Canada, except for Canada land and a couple of others. Now that's an off limits topic. We can't ask the government about how they spend our money. That's ridiculous. Jan, where could Travis Danraj have possibly gotten the idea that this trip was just a big photo op? How could he have gotten that wild idea? <laughs> I'm on my way back from Europe now, where I met with close to a dozen world leaders who are absolutely focused, like we are, on standing with Ukraine and pushing back against Russian aggression. Jen, I wish our listeners could see that as well as hear it. The Downton Abbey music plays, and they have like... <laughs> I don't know if they brought a dolly with them or a drone. It's like these cinematic sweeping shots of Europe. And there's Trudeau with Boris Johnson. It is an absolutely legitimate question to ask if Trudeau, whose like approvals are in the dumps after the Freedom Convoy, leapt at this opportunity to look like a great statesman of the world, even though, as we discussed, his support for Ukraine only goes so far, as, as everyone's does. Is this just for looks? I think that's a fair question. He made a movie about it, so maybe looks mattered to him a little bit. <laughs> I didn't know about that. I didn't know they had put out a video. I saw the Brandenburg Gate, uh, you know, they're looking like the Avengers standing there in front of it. But no. So it, it is always a legitimate question for a reporter to ask about taxpayers' dollars. Always legit. Jen, there were 12,900 comments in response to Travis uploading that clip to Twitter. And most of them were very negative. People were harassing him. People were at were demanding that he be fired. It's just like a lot of people who either they were pretending or they actually just don't know how reporting works. But the story became the reporter's question. I'm afraid that that's going to be a tactic now, you know, as if the next reporter to ask Christia Freeland or Justin Trudeau a question isn't going to have that in their mind. Like, I don't want to have happen to me what happened to Travis. That's horrible. Yeah. It's going to put a chill on everything. I agree. I think reporters will be a little scared, a little nervous. They don't want to be the news. I mean, the reason they're reporters is because they want to write the news. They don't want to be the news. So it will have an effect, I'm afraid. That's what I think. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity, and they are doing cutting-edge research. I don't know if anybody listening to this is untouched by this crisis. You can see it in the downtown of every city in this country. You certainly feel it in Toronto. This is not something happening to other people. These are our friends. These are our communities, our families. We are all touched by addiction. We are all touched by the mental health crisis, and we all share responsibility to do something about it. Helping CAMH is something you can do about it. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have 
magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. Jen, you have done this show more than maybe anybody else, so you know that we duly note stories that deserve more attention. What do you have to share today? Well, it's still about Ukraine, but I'd like to shift the perspective slightly to talk about China and Russia, because so much attention is being paid now to what the West is going to do. I think most people aren't paying attention to China. It's interesting because U.S. intelligence has recently said that Russia asked China for military and economic help. And China's calling that fake news. <laughs> but the U.S. is really worried about what China's going to do because there was this marathon meeting in Rome on Monday. But I think that China may not do much. This is what I think. Why do I think that? Because China's always hated the Russians. And it goes all the way back to the czarist times when China had an emperor. They didn't like the czars. But even the Soviet Union, people think, oh, both communist countries, right? No, China's always hated the Soviet Union. Stalin screwed them around in World War II, screwed around the Chinese communists in World War II. And then when the war ended, he took the factories close to the border of the Soviet Union, the Chinese factories, and China had almost no industrial machinery, and he packed it up and took it to Moscow. And then during the Cultural Revolution, China hated Brezhnev, hated Khrushchev. They called them revisionists. They called them all kinds of terrible names. And they had border skirmishes. And then during Gorbachev, they really looked down on Gorbachev because he went to China during the Tiananmen protests and uh, went back and, and took down the wall. He said, OK, communism is over. And so they really hate him. I mean, China's the only lifeline that Putin has, and I don't think it's there for him. Duly noted. I have a completely trivial duly noted. Uh, <laughs> You're not going to talk about world, you know, global realignment or superpowers. No, I'm going to talk about uh, clickbait house porn rage content. Oh, OK. No, I'm more interested in yours. No, I'm out of my league here. All right. Look, there, there is a certain kind of news story that like is just like a guaranteed hate click which is like in this environment where housing is a crisis, where once again, like it's not even news anymore, like housing prices up 20%. Like it's like going up by 20%. It feels like every day or something. Like it's <laughs> like, that's just like a headline that you might read every day. It's up 20% again, but it's really a horrible situation for many people. And you can basically throw raw meat at desperate people by a story of like, this eight-year-old has his own condo. How did he do it? And it's like a tried and true format that Toronto Life, I think, uh, has pioneered. Yeah, I saw it. Some guy who's really young has like three or four condos now. You know, th there have been dozens of iterations of this story, but this that's not the one. That one I saw recently as well, but that's not the one that I'm pointing out today because I've come to expect this. You know, it's like if you just want to like, ah, oh, we need another 100,000 clicks this week to make our quota, <laughs> you can publish a story like this. So I expect it from many different news organizations, but I don't expect it from the CBC. And CBC Nova Scotia ran this piece it's like an AI bot created this based on algorithmic data as to what gets traffic. How I manifested my house 
as a 24-year-old single woman. What does that mean? What does manifested mean? Well, let her explain, Jang. I've also manifested my sauna, prime parking spots, my cat, and good income during adverse times, just to name a few, all of which presented themselves through conscious intention. So this is a bonkers profile of this young woman who bought a house because she joined a cult. Uh, I don't know. She's into the secret or she's into some sort of self-help thing where, like, if you just imagine it and journal it, you'll get a house. And it takes three minutes for her to, like, say, yeah, my dad co-signed the mortgage. (laughs) Um, And then she says, privilege certainly plays a role in the world of manifesting. (laughs) Oh, I can't believe you read this. I, I, like... (laughs) You know, Jesse, you need a life. <laughs> I'm vulnerable and human, and I, I, it's 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 hate clicking. It's like, oh, these fuckers! How dare they? Let me watch it. <laughs> and it's not even just an article. It's from like some sort of a web video series, the CBC Creator Network series, Unlocked: Housing Stories from Young Canadians. And I'm sure somewhere there's like a pitch document that's like, we're going to tell the real stories of the housing crisis, and then this is the outcome. So this is a real story. It's it's not paid content. This is a real story. This Are you is sure? uh, Jan, the taxpayer funded this story. I, I cannot fathom why the CBC does this shit. Well, you read it. You read it. They did it for clicks, but why does the CBC run on clicks? What like yeah? Why is it set up that way? Oh, that's a whole other Canada land topic. Let me tell you, I'm always screaming at my radio. The 30 seconds before the news are promoting a show, and it's like I'm already listening to you. I don't want to hear an ad for your new whatever. Yeah, we'll do that show. I said nice things defending a CBC reporter in segment one, so I have to say this stuff now. I'm told that they want video content. They're hungry for video content. You can pitch them any video content and they'll take it. But they're always just chasing, like, you know, they want to put it on the gym app. Yeah, why? Exactly. Why? Why, why, why? (laughs) Duly noted. Jen, I want to talk about this column that Globe and Mail columnist Doug Saunders ran this week in the Globe Mail. I think that this was probably a piece that he's been waiting to write for some years now. Three years, it looks like. Yeah, I think so. I'm going to back up and give a bit of context. We have been covering uh, a topic for years as well, which is this slew of defamation lawsuits that Rebel Media has launched against journalists and other commentators. People who have dared to criticize Rebel Media have been getting sued. And the immediate take on that is, well, rebel media presents itself as a champion of free speech in Canada. And yet here they are suing the media. In fact, rebel commander, as he self-styles himself, uh, Ezra Levant, self-styles himself? Yeah, I guess so. Ezra Levant was published by the Globe and Mail in 2019. He, He ran an opinion piece that was just this like, you know, you might not like the rebel, but we're here to stand up for press freedom. We're here covering it from a different point of view, and that's just fine in a democracy like ours. And it was really laundering Ezra Levant as like just another voice in our wonderful spectrum of opinions and points of view. But if he is a champion of press freedom, our coverage has looked at this from the lens of why does he keep suing the press? And as far as I can tell, and I've I've dug into this a bit to see if this is accurate, I'm pretty sure it is. I don't think anybody has filed more defamation claims against the media than the rebel. Oh. Press Progress, sued by the Rebel. Al Jazeera, sued by the Rebel. The Narwhal, D-Smog, National Observer, Scott Gilmore. And 
Ezra Levant threatened Canada Land oh. with the lawsuit unless we retracted and apologized, something that I said, and we did not retract or apologize. And then we were sued by a rebel reporter, not by the rebel, but by uh, Kean Bextie. So that's my disclosure there. Now, never, Jan, did I really stop and ask myself why? Why this sort of historic slew of, of lawsuits? Because it just seemed obvious to me why he was doing it, you know? Mm -hmm. It's just like you form a shield around yourself to protect yourself from scrutiny and criticism. Like, basically, you create table stakes that we're going to sling a lot of arrows. We're going to throw a lot of mud. But if you come after us, it might be really expensive and annoying for you. And, you know, they've sued based on really innocuous seeming tweets and statements. So you don't really know. If you say anything about these guys, you might get sued. And so it seemed to me that the motive there is simple. It's just to like create the opportunity cost that's just too high. Like it's just not worth the headache. Mm -hmm. But it does seem like there may have been a much more specific reason for some of these lawsuits. Well, I think also they want attention. So when they sue, you can always put big numbers on a lawsuit. They get attention. It's a marketing ploy. It's not just to scare people, but it's to get their profile raised. Very good point. And I would be embarrassed to sue somebody for libel or defamation because I wouldn't want to be called a hypocrite who is like says stuff but can't take it. But I, I think that they might be operating from a point of view where there is no such thing as bad press. Yeah. That all kind of like formed my understanding of why they do this. But again, this Doug Saunders column has me feeling like there might have been another motive. And this has to do with information that I knew about a couple of years ago when it came out that the Christchurch killer, this this hateful person who slaughtered 51 Muslims while they were at prayer in New Zealand, he murdered them in a mosque, it came out that he was a member of Rebel Media's audience. And uh, their content seems to have influenced him because he was into this whole great replacement racist theory, this conspiracy theory that there's a plot to replace white people. And th this is a theory that rebel media propagated, that they spread. Lauren Southern was involved in this and like the author of the stupid theory was interviewed on rebel media. And after Christchurch rebel wiped their website of all of this stuff. And Lauren Southern doesn't work there anymore. And a lot of the most kind of like obviously racist people who were employed by Ezra Levant parted ways. I think some of them were fired. And I think that there was this, uh, you know, I think that there was an attempt to kind of cleanse the rebel and, and maybe even like pretend that this had never been stuff that they published. In any event, it is a matter of fact that the Christchurch killer was a rebel media content consumer. And he liked them so much that he opened up his wallet and he donated $106.68 from his personal bank account to Rebel News Network Limited of Canada. And Jan, that information that I just shared seems to be the information that the rebel tried to suppress through lawsuits and through legal threats. Mm -hmm. Here's what Doug Saunders wrote. Mr. Levant launched a series of libel suits against journalists who had mentioned his organization's possible influence on terrorists and violent individuals and groups. That included a suit against the author of this column, which is the weird way that he says me. Yeah. And why was Doug Saunders <laughs> sued for having mentioned the terrorists donation on Twitter after it appeared in a New Zealand report? Mm -hmm. So Doug Saunders was among many who were sued for just mentioning that this was true. And citing the report, the official government report in New Zealand. Yeah. In January, a judge ruled that in two other suits, Levant and Rebel Media were using litigation to silence critics. 
and he ordered them to pay more than $250,000 in costs. Doug Saunders' case didn't get that far. Rebel dropped the suit against Saunders. Whatever legal fees went into defending Doug Saunders, that money's lost because it was just uh, Levant dropped the suit with an agreement not to pursue his claim and not to pursue any claims against Saunders relating to his tweet. Yeah. We have a problem in this country. We have free expression. We supposedly have a free press in Canada, but like the use of the courts in various ways to frustrate free expression. Yes. If a Canadian media organization, like we do media criticism here, media reporting, and if a Canadian media organization is publishing shit that has anything to do with mass slaughter in a hate crime, that seems like something that we should be able to talk about, not years after the fact, for fear of litigation. Yeah. And I note that the Star just ran a piece about another hate killer, this guy who killed a family of Muslims in London with his vehicle. Police found hate-related material on his devices, but we don't know what they are. Could be the rebel, could be something else, because... The judge has placed it under a publication ban. Yeah, I know. It's terrible. These publication bans are terrible in Canada. I mean, I don't think Canadians understand how weird it is that so many things are put under a publication ban. It's just automatically put on. If one party requests it automatically, the judge almost always agrees. And that means we can't inform the public about these very important issues of hate crimes. It's pretty serious. Like, if this guy is getting inspired by materials that we need to talk about, I don't know what those materials are. Why? To protect the alleged killer's right to a fair trial. Mm -hmm. Like, if we know Mm -hmm. what his reading material is, that might influence a jury. How about the fact that he's alleged to have mowed down a family? Like, that might influence the jury a bit more than what he was reading on his phone. But we can't report on this because the courts are in the way. So do we have free expression in Canada if we can't report on that? No, we don't. We don't. It's so limited. Our freedom of speech and freedom of expression in Canada is very, very limited. And people here think it's fine. We we have it, but we actually don't. It's very, very hard. Look at Doug Saunders. He said for three years it's taken to write this. It's wild. And and you'd think that the press would be up in arms about this stuff and about the misuse of the courts to stop reporters. But again, we have journalists, like in another case, a journalist taking the other side. Steve Pakin, in full disclosure, I've worked with Steve Pakin at TVO. Maybe you'd say for him and consider him a friend. Yeah, same. Same. I like Steve. I like Steve a lot. He wrote a blog post about the Patrick Brown case where journalists at CTV, after years of rumors of inappropriate behavior from Patrick Brown, turns out, and this this is true, Patrick Brown, he's like about 30 years old. He owned a bar even though he doesn't drink. And he was known to like, like be like plying teenage girls with liquor and then trying to have sex with them. And that part is like, I don't even know if there's any dispute about that stuff. I think there was a dispute in this story about the age. She was one year older than they thought. It didn't change the essence. That's right. It changes an important detail whether she was under the drinking age or not. But Steve Pakin wrote a piece that basically suggested that that one error 
disqualifies the whole story. That it, because she was 19 and not 18, there's nothing to see here. And Patrick Brown should basically have gotten the premiership and there should not have been a scandal. And the press made an egregious, I think that's the word he used, error. You know, Steve Pakin's free to disagree with me about how serious a story that is. I mean, either we want to report on that kind of behavior from elected leaders, people with power, or we don't. I would say that we do want to report on that kind of stuff. And, we, and of course, we should do so responsibly. Well, I always look at the difference in age. So it's not the one age that she was one year older. It's the difference in age. He's much, much older. Yeah. And so it's not the same as, you know, a guy who's one or two years older than her plying her with drinks. We're talking somebody more than 10 years older. So that's how I look at it. That's one factor. I think the age difference is big. There was also in one case a power differential where he was like her boss, one of these women. Yeah. Age differential and power. Those are important things. And I think like, you know, we didn't used to report on that kind of stuff. I think it's good that we do. But I know that in a newsroom, if you make a mistake on something like that, that's a key fact. You do collapse inside. You just feel awful. And it, it is horrible. But, you know, I don't, I think the essence of the story is still there. But uh, frankly, you can't get those things wrong. You can't get them wrong. And I don't know that this is a question of the reporters, like, not checking their facts. I think that this probably had to do with the imperfection of memory when people are recounting things that happened to them. And But, you know, then you try to verify as best you can. And, like, but you know what? Mistakes do happen. Anyhow, there's, like, some room for some debate in this. But what there isn't room for is Pakin made his own, I think, lapse in this story Here's uh, the Narwhal's Emma McIntosh tweeting, Hey, TVO, why isn't the author's conflict of interest with Patrick Brown stated in this column? Steve Pakin's wife is close friends with Patrick Brown. Oh, yeah, I forgot. That's right. In fact, according to Patrick Brown's lawsuit, Pakin's spouse, Francesca Grosso, was the ghostwriter of Patrick Brown's memoir. Oh, my God. Okay, well, we both disclosed that we're friends with Steve Pakin right at the top. So I agree with you. You know, if he's going to do that, he has to disclose. That's terrible. I didn't realize that. They've added disclaimer since, and there seems to be some dispute as to whether she is the full ghostwriter or whether she just fact-checked a section. The disclosure now reads, the author's wife, Francesca Grosso, was an unpaid health care advisor to Brown during his leadership tenure, and she worked with Brown in this capacity until 2017. I can't claim to know the full extent of uh, Pakin's spouse's connection to Patrick Brown, but it seems to be like kind of substantial in a way that should have been disclosed. Yeah, it had to be disclosed. Like we say, mistakes happen. Why reporters have trouble defending reporters, you know, is a curiosity to me. My feeling with Glenn McGregor and Rachel Ayo at CTV is like, they're on this razor's edge of like one of the scoops of their lives, mm -hmm. of their life, or one of the biggest blunders. And it's not even their reporting and its errors or its triumphs that are going to dictate that. It's a rush of people trying to reframe and claim what happened for one narrative or the other. You know, Maria Ressa, who was a co-winner of the Nobel Prize this year, Peace Prize, she's a journalist. She's a, a very brave, wonderful journalist in the Philippines. She runs a new site called The Rappler. She made a speech talking about how in this age of disinformation and fake news, that we need to rethink the competitive aspect of journalism. And instead of criticizing other reporters and jumping on them for the way they asked a question about photo ops in Europe, 
Instead, we should be much more supportive because the bigger enemy right now is the fake news, the disinformation, the hate. I mean, when the reporters were in Ottawa covering the trucker protests, they were spat on and they were shoved and they were threatened and they were sworn at. So something to start thinking about. I mean, we it's a very competitive business, but do we have to do this? Do we have to dump on each other? Uh, maybe it's time to rethink this. You trying to put me out of work, Jen? <laughs> yeah, you could be a cheerleader. <laughs> I hate the clannish nature of the Canadian media where, like, close ranks and, like— you know. Oh, yeah, I hate that, too. I'm not talking about clans. It's the principles that we're just willing to discard when it's convenient. I think we still should be critical, but we should really try to be supportive of each other. Like, I don't know how many—I didn't know what to do when this happened to Travis— the CBC report. I didn't know what to do. I sort of looked at it and I froze and I thought, what should I do? Should I send him a note? And I thought, no, I'll just stay out of this. And it wasn't until you tweeted something that it sort of galvanized me. And I said, yeah, you're right. I, I think we have to sort of just slightly shift. I'm not saying to become cheerleaders or to become uncritical. Well, there's some praise in there from Jan Wong, so I think I'll just take it. <laughs> Not shortcuts this week. Jan, thank you for joining me. Thank you. It's great. We're on Twitter at Canada Land, and uh, we're trying to find out more about you. So please check out our survey uh, at canadaland.com slash survey so we can make better stuff for you and get better ads for you. Email me about this show. I'm at jesse at canadaland.com. I read everything you send. Jan Wong, where can people find you? I'm at Writer Wong on Twitter. This episode is produced by Aviva Lassard with additional production by Tristan Capicione. Our managing editor is Kieran Oudshorn. Theme music is by so-called syndication by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. You can visit them online at CFUV.ca. If you like what we do and want to receive ad-free versions of all of our podcasts, please support us. Hit the link in the show notes or go to canadaland.com slash join. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada land. We need you to and so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com join. And thank you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.